You are listening to the Shit You Can't Make Up podcast, a conversation with friends, hosted by Marisol Sanchez. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You know we have a sponsor, right? Our great sponsor is BetterHelp.com. Convenient, affordable, private, online counseling, anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp.com. It's professional. All these counselors are licensed and accredited. It's affordable. Pay a low flat fee for unlimited sessions. And of course, it's convenient. Do it at your own time, at your own pace. You can even do it in your underwear if you want. Check out BetterHelp.com. And now, let's join Marisol. Hey guys, um, thank you for joining in yet again. Um, so I'm going to start out this episode. I'm kind of going to start um, first of all letting you know that I just came back from the dentist. So if I um, sound loopy <laughs> or loopier, uh, it might be related to that. Um, but I am excited uh, about my guest Um I'm super excited about my guest. Um, this is September, and I believe it's sobriety month, right? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that voice, that beautiful voice there is my guest, Keegan White. But before I introduce her, before we get into what I'm sure is going to be a fascinating conversation, um, I need to thank some people. I've got to thank uh, Celia Rivenbark for um, coming on the show last week. Um, I've gotten so many um, funny... <laughs> emails about um that podcast and i agree i think uh she should have her own (laughs) she's hilarious so i will pass on all those wonderful messages to her um i also need to thank sean the producer guy um he's in florida and yet through irma through no power for i don't know how many days he still (laughs) managed to um produce the show for me so thank you sean and make sure to check out his podcast at dad's son's podcast um he has a great show with his son, who I believe is a senior in high school. So they go, they have some interesting conversations. Um, and then the last uh, thing I have to thank before I introduce my guest is BetterHelp.com, um, our sponsor. And um, I'm going to tell you guys the truth. I never really thought about sponsorship. Um, and I'm not going to pretend that I wasn't anything but overly excited when anyone offered to pay me. <laughs> so, and I, I didn't do any like thorough back. I mean, I, I went online, I looked at their website, but I never used betterhelp.com, even though I'm a big advocate of therapy. Um, but even though I did all that, I was um, blessed to get a message from a listener who actually used betterhelp.com and they were in crisis and they were able to contact them and, that just meant the world to me. It just meant, even though I never really thought about it and it wasn't my intention to be all, um, you know, recommending products for anything. Um, I'm just, I'm glad it helped someone. So, uh, check them out. And, um, I'm sorry, the dentist, I'm so thirsty. Edit that out. <laughs> And so now I'm excited to uh, introduce my guest, um, someone I personally know. She is dialing in. Uh, we tried through Skype, but we're doing <laughs> FaceTime, actually. Uh, Keegan White. She, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my relationship with her because it's, uh, in its own, very interesting. Um, a lot of you know I started this, I believe, 
two years after my divorce. And I always refer to, or I refer to it a lot in the blog and the podcast, that I have two lives, the life before my divorce and the life after my divorce. And it wasn't because of the divorce itself, but it was because the divorce itself. <laughs> and it was also um, yoga, because I that's when I learned, that's the first introduction I ever had to yoga. Um, and you were one of my first, very, very, very first um, yoga teachers. And you were beautiful and sweet. And, um, and loving, and you introduced me to this, I mean, and not just the asana, like the whole, I try. <laughs> just try. Right, yeah. Uh, progress, not perfection. Um, but I try the eight limbs as much as I can. And <laughs> that all started with you and, and some others at the, the local. I'm looking at you, and I told you I wasn't going to look at you. <laughs> 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 we're doing video, too. This is all new for me. Um, so... You were you were just instrumental at that point in my life because you introduced me to something you um, that is I can't imagine my life without. I mean, it just it's so not the new me, the authentic me, or as close to it as I've grown. Um, so this podcast, the blog, everything, you know, um, the way I live my life now, um, you know, you were a role in that. You know, and then I love telling people when they have inspired me in some way because people don't think of themselves that way. Like, right. you know, we only think of like celebrities or, you know, not like everyday people. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm always floored by that because I'm like, so many people inspire me on the daily, like just as mothers, as friends, as um, teachers, as, you know, whatever, whatever. I mean, any anyone can be inspiring. So um, thank you for that. And um, a funny story, I can't go back to that studio very often because it triggers me. Not, oh, because, yeah. not because of anything. The studio is wonderful, lovely, and everything. Uh-huh. But it puts me back. And actually, not you. You don't trigger me. But maybe some people from that time period mm-hmm. put me right back to that That's point sp- in my life. which was, mm-hmm. I mean, I would break down sobbing on the mat. I'm sure I did it in your class. <laughs> I did it in quite a few of them. You know, it was it was just an insanely intense period in my life. Um, right. That, um, well, so when I go back there, it's not the center itself, but it's it just it, it's like a rubber band pulls me right back. Sure. So, Absolutely. Um, so that's mm-hmm. funny. Um, so I haven't practiced yoga with you in a while, but I do follow you on social media. And, yeah. Um, I saw that you, along with many other things you're doing, which I think is awesome. Um, you're doing an empowerment coach, which is helping people break through patterns, habits, and limiting beliefs that keep them from living the life they want. I'm reading that. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, but I, I contacted you about this, about doing the podcast, because mm-hmm. specifically you did a video, I don't know, three weeks ago. Uh-huh. It was about three yes. weeks ago. Um, and you, what I describe as cut your wrist and show it all to everyone on that video. Um, right. It was, it was, um, I mean, I'm thinking about it now and I'm getting chills. Like it was raw. Um, though I've known you pr- five years now, mm-hmm. I, kn- I knew that you had, you were sober and you'd referred uh-huh. to it, but I had no idea. No. Right. So you go into this video and, um, you begin to describe uh, your uh, uh, your past, and, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let you tell that story. Um, 
But I was so, I was blown away by your honesty, your vulnerability, um, your strength. And it was another testament to me that, um, you never know what people, what people right. bring, what, you know, everyone's perspective is so unique. It's like they're like snowflakes and fingerprints because everyone's life is completely, um, unique to their life experiences. So can you tell us a little bit, um, because I love how you describe that you're not the typical face for addiction. Right. Um, right. Beautiful. <laughs> you're college educated. You're, um, you know, can I say white without being, I just wrote about this in my blog. Can I say you're white? You're white? Uh-huh. Um, you know, you're, there's visually, there's no hint that you would be, um, right. you know, um, an addict. Is that, I feel even uncomfortable. Yeah. So yeah. Drug addict. Um, yeah. Totally drug addict. Mm-hmm. So, um, can you tell us how that happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> It's just like you said, you know, I did not grow up wanting to be an addict, you know, like that, that was like when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a dancer, a singer, an actress, you know, all these things. And I grew up in middle-class suburbia on a golf course. My father owns a golf course, you know, um, my mother was a stay at home mom. I mean, I had everything I ever wanted, went to college, college educated, um, there's nothing on the outside that would look at me and go, that girl is going to end up a drug addict. Um, and, and that's where, you know, that's why I think my advocacy is so important is because the, the disease of addiction does not discriminate. It does not care what your background is. It doesn't care how much education you have or, you know, if you grew up on a golf course or any, any of that. None of that matters when it comes to the disease of addiction. And, um, you know, my story is... Um, when I was really close to my mom, like extremely close to my mom. And she got really sick when I was 17, like literally went down to see a specialist. And when she came back from that specialist, she was put on oxygen. So I remember them bringing the trucks into the house and the oxygen trucks and the tanks. And, um, you know, there was that noise of just that constant um, oxygen being pumped in through the house the whole time. And so literally our whole life, all of our lives changed overnight. How old were you again? I was 17. Okay. So this had been a woman that was extremely active in my life, had taken me to all kinds of dance lessons and theater. And, you know, she was just, just an extreme part of my life. And then overnight she was like confined to the house for the most part. And she had like portable oxygen tanks, but even that was very confining. So, um, and, you know, it's, it's ironically, as close as my mom and I were, we never really talked about her being sick and the how sick she was and that, you know, she would eventually die. Like, we didn't talk about that in our house. And so that bred a lot of fear and a lot of anger. And I didn't really know what to do with all those feelings at 17 years old. And so I started drinking. And when I went off to college, I, um, you know, did the college thing, went out, drank a lot, um, joined a sorority, drank a lot. It was part of the, the dance team and, and drank back, a lot. She's back home sick or she's passed away at this point? Uh, she is still sick. Okay. Yeah. She did not pass away. I was 22. So outside looking in, can I just tell you, oh my God, like I have a 15 year old daughter who I'm exceptionally <laughs> close to. So I'm listening to this and I'm like, uh, um, but I also want you to know, I'm sure I've seen your Facebook messages about your mother. I just want you to know, <laughs> you know 
she adored you. I mean, that was, oh. you know, and she was probably dealing with her, you know, mm-hmm. mortality. Like, you know, it's. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's, I'm saying it's an impossible situation for everyone. Um, Absolutely. I don't mean to interrupt. Absolutely. So you're in college and you're partying it up. I'm parting it up. And, um, you know, I remember freshman year missing, uh, an exam and calling my father and freaking out and telling him I'd been drinking the night before. And, um, he said to me, Keegan, do you think you have a problem? And I'm 19 years old. And in the moment I said, yes, I do. I think I have a problem and immediately realized, oh my gosh, if I say I have a problem, I have to do something about it. So immediately was like, oh no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I've got it under control. So I knew even at 19 that I had a problem. But when I was in that environment of college, it was like unfathomable to think about not drinking. Like it was just part of the culture. It was part of the lifestyle. I could not comprehend stopping. Um, So just fast forward, like I said, my mom passed away when I was 22. And that really set me off in a whole different direction. Um, Because at least when she was alive, even though it was, um, her health deteriorated so quickly in those four or five years. Um, and she was homebound much, much, much more. And she was in and out of the hospital, you know, at least she was alive and I could talk to her. So when she died, it just set me off on this path of complete destruction because I felt so lonely, you know, like I, I was just destitute with her death and, um, You know, my father's not really one to talk about his feelings and my brother's five years older than me and we weren't really that close. And so I felt just really alone. And so the drinking really persisted. And then um, about 25 years old, I met a guy. I didn't do drugs. Like I smoked weed every once in a while before this point. And mind you, I was a full-blown alcoholic by this point, like full-blown drinking by myself, drinking all the time, um, blacking out all of the time, like just really down and dirty, um, drinking a lot. And uh, I met this guy and he was a drug dealer and he introduced me to crystal meth. And I was so naive when I met him. I, I had no idea what it was. Like I just had no idea. I had tried cocaine a couple times before that. And I thought cocaine was like the devil's drug. And as long as what he put in front of me wasn't cocaine, I was like, fine, whatever, I'll do whatever. And when I met him, I was at such a low point emotionally. Um, I was again, like very lonely, very just, you know, just devastated by my mother's death. And so when I met him, it was just, I really thought like this was somebody who might save me. It's like twisted as that sounds because he's a drug dealer, but he was like the first person that I think I actually connected with in some weird way. And, um, we were very, connected in the beginning of our relationship and it was very magnetic and very, um, just a lot of, a lot of, um, charisma and and sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very intense. And so, um, I started using crystal meth and, um, in the beginning I just, I snorted it. And the longer that he and I were together, the more that we started experimenting with different ways. And in, in the end I was smoking crystal meth all day, every day, um, for about a little over two years. And, um, you know, during that time, you know, the relationship with my father was 
you know, non-existent because, you know, I'm doing drugs. So I was like really trying to push him away. He didn't know what was going on with me. I have a history of depression. So he just thought I was going through a major depression because of mom's death. And then when I lost a bunch of weight because of the, the using of the drugs, he thought I was anorexic. And, you know, he, he had lost his wife and the love of his life. And he's doing, dealing with his own feelings with that and then trying to manage this daughter. And it, it was, it was really, really tough on him. And, and the relationship that I was in was really abusive, especially emotionally and mentally abusive. Um, a lot of mind games, like just so many really, really screwed up mind games. And then there was also some physical abuse as well. And, um, you know, I think the hardest part of that situation was knowing how unhealthy it was, but not being able to leave. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. And grab some water. Um, all right. Well, before you continue the story, um, you know, when you were talking about the death of your mom, I, I, all that I kept, you know, feeling was like, holy shit, you know, the little that I do know of you, like from the last five years is you're in and you, you feel mm -hmm. strongly. Yes. <laughs> like, and I'm not pretending that, mm -hmm. we, you know, speak daily or anything like that. I just, that's just an instant. Anyone who's taken your classes, you know, probably can sense that from you. You're just, mm -hmm. um, which is probably, you know, God's gift, one of God's gifts to you. But, um, so I'm thinking to myself as you're telling me the story and there's like, you're 17. So physically everything's like, you know, insane already. Mm -hmm. Right. <clears throat> Mother's passing away. There isn't, co co you know, connection about that um, occurring. Right. Mm -hmm. You're ever, you know, it's just like it. This is like an insane shit storm brewing that yeah. I could only imagine. You don't want to. I'm, I'm like that. I feel strongly too, mm -hmm. and I have had, <laughs> you know listen to the podcast i've had many years of like numbing that shit down for years right i, I would say that till the age of um till the probably started yoga five years ago and got divorced um i didn't feel i for a long time because it was just too much so i can mm -hmm. only imagine i can totally relate to the idea of you know finding something to yeah numb that because that's a lot yeah that's a lot um so you're dating, uh, it sounds like, to me, I'm sorry, an asshole, dickhead, drug dealer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Might be the mom and me. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> okay. So That's being generous and kind. <laughs> so, so you're dating him, your relationship with your dad is strained. Um, uh -huh. And what I'm guessing is, you know, what what's the turning point? What, you know, was it the relationship or the drugs that? It, it was both. It was so... Um, it was just, it was both, you know, like I remember after about six weeks of using crystal meth, like I started doing research on what I was doing and like the reality of what I had started putting into my body and, um, the reality of the intense addiction piece of it was daunting. And I knew then that I needed to get help, but I knew I would not leave him. So they, they really, for me, went hand in hand. I knew I was not going to stop using drugs until I was ready to leave him. And I wasn't going to leave him until I was ready to stop using drugs. So it was about um, 
two years of just really, really shitty things happening. Um, there was not one major event. Um, you know, like at one point, um, I had tried to commit suicide because to be honest, I could not handle him anymore. The way the mind games that he played, I'm going to cry. <laughs> they were so horrific that I just remember one night being like, I just want to go to sleep and wake up with my mom. Aww. You know, like I just can't do this anymore. And I had been using meth for days and I was drinking vodka and I had a whole bunch of sleeping pills somebody had given me. And I, I remember just like looking at those pills and going, I'm going to do this and took a whole bottle of sleeping pills and immediately was like, oh, shit, what have I done? You know, like, I don't want to die. And went and threw them up. And I told him and we called, he called the ambulance. And so the ambulance came and took me to the hospital. And, you know, and I wish I could say that was the light, you know, like that was the moment where I was, I'd had enough. And, and it wasn't, you know, and three weeks later, we actually, he and I were both arrested for um, fighting in a parking lot. He actually hit me first, but... Um, because I did not want to get him in trouble. I said I hit him first. And in the state of North Carolina, um, they will take you both in. And so I had to stay in jail for 48 hours. And then had to call my dad and, you know, tell him where I was and ask him to come get me. I'm like, that was just... How old are you now at this point? Like 20? Uh, at this point, I'm 27. Wow. I'm 27 at this point. Yeah. And... Um, you know, and like, I would love to say that between those two instances, I'd had enough and I had not, I had had, I was not ready. And, you know, it's like, at what point, what bottom, you know, what is it going to take for you to stop? And, um, you know, I would say from that point, I had about eight more months of my active addiction and it was just between him and then worried about the cops coming to get me because at this point I'm selling drugs because, um, just maintain my habit. And, um, and then also there was a big crackdown in Atlanta with, with crystal meth and thank you DEA for doing that because that actually probably was the catalyst for me getting clean is because it was getting harder and harder to get the drugs. And, um, my father actually had my aunt step in and she started calling me and, and tried to get me to see a psychiatrist and, um, it took about three months, but I finally agreed to go see a psychiatrist and, um, told him and he had, he had my aunt come in and we told her and then we left and we called my dad. And then from that point I went right into a detox facility and then went into a 28 day program. And then I have been sober and clean for the last 11 years ever since. Fuck me. I just, I'm, um, I just, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I've known people who are sober, sort of, but I don't know them. I don't know their story. I've never had a conversation like this. I've never, I've always kind of, I don't fear sober people, but I just always don't know how to react as I'm drinking my wine. You know, uh -huh. <laughs> it's, it's sort of, um, but to hear, you know, so many points of your story, um, I'm just overwhelmed by the strength of it. You know, like just to <laughs> overcome that is, that's like, a, that's emotionally like, you know, 
at least brown belt, if not <laughs> black belt. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Um, so that's um, – and then the – you know, my other perspective on um, sobriety has always been, you know, I, I don't particularly like alcohol. I drank, but I don't particularly – I could give it up right now and never think twice about it. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up in Miami. Cocaine was everywhere. But I was luckily very, you know, my mom was extremely strict. So I couldn't even, I couldn't date. I had to chaperone. So I, I it was never around. Pot, right. um, which I discovered later in life, I fell in love with. I, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, anyone who knows me knows that, you know, I, I'm very pro the legalization of pot and, um, and love pot. <laughs> That don't spe- I have teenagers at home live in the state of North Carolina and have a, um, had a litigious divorce. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not the point, but I've always, you know, a little bit been scared of, uh, people who are sober because I don't know how to act around them. And I also feel like you're going to take my stuff away. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm also, um, I just, I'm insanely, proud of you i mean and and you know your mom has to be insane this is going to sound really fucked up and i hope you let me get to the end to understand what i'm going to try to say here is um however fucked up this story is it's sort of a testament to the love that you had for your mother does that Mm -hmm. make sense in a very you know Mm -hmm. like um it was such an intense emotion that you know you can easily see how those dots connected to Mm-hmm. You know, even, um, so any, like, I'm going to step in here a little bit, but <laughs> any feelings of shame that you ever might have about, you know, every, the jail or any of that, just let it go. Because as a mother, Heather and Lola, please never, ever do, do drugs. But, um, it is a testament to the, the pain, like, you know, the pain mm-hmm. that that mother daughter relationship. And I've seen how much you love your mom, like, yeah. There's even a part of me, as you were telling the story, that was jealous of you. Even as shitty as everything that you just said mm-hmm. was, that you had that love with your mom is is yeah. such a gift. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but having my own wounds, I could, I could um, just attest that you took something that blew up your fucking life and rebuilt yeah. it. Because um, mm-hmm. again, <laughs> you got me. You were one of the players that got me going. You know, not knowing any of this, about, not that I think it would have made a difference, or maybe it would have. I don't know. I probably wasn't as evolved back then. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but you, um, you've turned it into this life where yoga teacher, you sing beautifully, um, and now you're helping people. And I can see such an opportunity there for so many people to relate to you um, right. about this. Is your coaching not specific to sobriety, or is that really your? Uh-oh. It's it's not. And, and I just want to go back to talking about the relationship with my mom, because I honestly believe 110% that the reason why I've gotten clean and stayed clean is because of the relationship with my mom, that bond. Like it has been um, the, the guilt I felt when I was using of, because here's the ironic thing. My mom was the just say no teacher in our county. So she went around to all the seventh and ninth graders teaching about don't do drugs, here's safe sex, you know, use condoms, don't drink, like all this stuff. And then her daughter, you know, ends up uh, a drug addict. And um, 
but it was, I remember in those horrible moments in active addiction, it wasn't God I was praying to. I was literally praying to my mom to support me and help me during that time. And so even during that time, we had a strong relationship. And so getting clean, it, she, you know, and even though she's passed away, she is always with me. And I 100% know that. Like that woman, her energy has supported me in staying clean all of these years. And, um, and also, you know, to go back to being afraid of people in recovery, like we're just people, you know, like, you know, like we're just people. And, you know, for me personally, I don't go and put myself around a lot of people who are drinking and uh, I have good friends who are not in recovery and and they don't really drink around me. And occasionally they'll be like, it's okay if I have a drink. And, um, you know, I just always say yes, because I, I just appreciate so much that they would even stop and consider me. Um, that means the world to me. So, you know, we're just regular people. And, you know, it, like I said, I don't put myself in situations repeatedly that are going to be detrimental to my recovery. But to answer your question about, um, were you going to say something? Well, as you say, you know, we went pretty detailed in on the, you know, drug addiction part. I kind of want to, you know, really delve into how you got into, you know, you're kind of on the other side of the spectrum. You're mm -hmm. very holistic mm -hmm. yoga teacher, uh, yeah. your videos on, on Facebook. Um, you're very much about, um, emotional and I would describe it as emotional intelligence. Yes. Um, so you're, you know, you seem much more, you know, obviously much more involved. So how'd that like, tell me that bridge. bridge that right. Bridge. So, right. So, um, I, I started to go to 12 step meetings, 11 and some change ago, 11, a couple of, you know, about 11 years ago, some, some months. And, um, that was the first time I really started to learn about spirituality. You know, it's it's not a religious program. It is um, about introducing people to finding some sort of spiritual work that works for them. And I loved that I had the flexibility to find whatever I wanted. And so that that was really what set me on a spiritual journey. Um, the the yoga came mm, six years ago. Well, that's when I went through yoga teacher training. But I, I actually... I actually started practicing yoga when I was in college and um, picked it back up when I, I uh, in early recovery. And so that was another piece of the spirituality. And yoga was the first time where I was really able to connect my physical body. Up until that point, I was very disconnected from the physical body and that I actually had a physical body, as strange as that may sound. And um, yoga was when I really first started like noticing, gosh, I've got this physical body and I want to take care of it. I want to really take much better care of myself. And so then that, that piece started to come in. And then when I went through yoga teacher training six years ago, that was just a huge transformation because it really opened up my eyes up until then. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I worked at Port City Java for like five years. I loved that place, but it was like, you know, it's like the 33 and still working out of a coffee shop with no clue of what I wanted to do with my life. And when I went through yoga teacher training, it was like, ah, this is it. I've arrived. You know, I, I found my mission is, is to help people and, and to help people with their, their physical practice. And then they're also the, the mental stuff that, that we as human beings experience. And up until that point, I had really been, um, I don't want to say hiding out, but I'd been spending a lot of my time just in 12 step fellowship. And so my friends, boyfriend at the time, um, everybody was just in, so I was immersed in that culture. And when, when I started um, when I went through yoga teacher training, then I got immersed in this other culture and I started realizing that what we had learned in 12 steps, 
that it's our disease talking to us, I actually learned that that's really just being a human being. You know, it, it affects us differently because as a, in an addict, you know, I have that tendency to you know, take it to the extreme. Um, but the way that we think as addicts is no different than the way we, what we call earthlings, <laughs> regular people. Mm-hmm. You know, and, um, so I was fascinated when I went through yoga teacher training that, God, we're all the same, having a lot of the same thoughts, just in, in different ways. And so that really set me on a whole different path of, like you said, the more holistic approach. And, and also, I have to say that in that time, I, I did quite a bit of therapy. <laughs> yeah, know, like yeah, yeah. Quite a bit of therapy to get through my mom's passing away and then that abusive relationship. So I had two, two different therapists in, in town that I worked with. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think, um, you know, for me, it was I went, I started therapy first before I did yoga and yoga was, I just walked in thinking it was exercise. It was, you mm-hmm. know, I had no expectations. I mean, I was an atheist. I was a very proud, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. um, meditation sounded ridiculous, not ridiculous, mm-hmm. just, you know, um, I don't know. I was very judgmental. I, um, you know, it, it broke me so that I could, you know, learn who I was. Like, does that make Uh any sense? It it broke me (laughs) physically, it broke me mentally, and then it broke me spiritually for, it sounds silly to say rebirth, but that's how I feel. Like, I feel like the last five years has, have been very, um, much that way. And, and, you know, I, I do, like, I, yoga to me is, it changed my life. You know, just, not even the physical, the physical is like the least, Mm-hmm. part of it right um you know, now i have a, a i don't want a, a, a decent meditation practice again per, per, you know progress not perfection <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> um not professing to be you know great at meditation but i try and um that you said something that totally made sense to me when you were talking about that's how humans are you know addicts are this mm-hmm. thinking because I was very self-abusive in my thought process. I thought, mm-hmm. um, yep. you know, my internal belief system was pretty shitty, <laughs> yeah. pretty awful. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh-huh. yeah, you, and, you know, we've talked about that. The you know, being kind to yourself is really important. Like that's what it all basically boiled down to me for everything was like the belief that, um, you know, I went from that girl walking in thinking I'm just getting exercise you know, in my perfect little suburban life <laughs> right? to, um, you know, going to India and going to an ashram and yeah, dunking myself into the Gandhi's freaking river, I think seven <laughs> times to like forgive my sins and seven generations past and then getting dysentery. Um, so it was this huge, you know, my, that my, I could totally relate though. I didn't, I, I don't, didn't have, um, Obviously, I didn't have your story. Your story is unique to you, um, but it, I can relate to so much of your story, like right in our path. Um, <clears throat> and so, when I saw you coaching, I was really excited when I saw it because I was like, I could just totally see it for you. I could see like the, you know, you yeah. giving them pranayama, giving them asana, like giving them a complete package of how to work on healing because that's basically all humans want is. Mm-hmm. Um, to heal 
you know. Right. Um, we all are walking. That's, you know, that when I refer to shit on the title of the podcast, it's not literal, um, but it's more like I think we all have shit. We all are just covered in layers of shit, and the shit starts the second we're born to whom we're born to, to the circumstances uh-huh. we're born to, and growing or evolving in all those areas, emotionally, spiritually, physically, comes from um, undoing that shit. Does that make sense? Or clearing away that yeah. shit. And I just feel uh-huh. like you, you're a wonderful example of that. So um, thank you. Very proud of you. Um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I am. And um, do you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you um, if they would be interested in talking more about like, coaching services? Mm-hmm. And- yeah. And, you know, to talk about you, you asked me the question about do I work with people just in sobriety? I, I, I don't. It's, it's open to, to anybody who thinks that they have. And, you know, we all have patterns and we all have habits and we all have limiting beliefs. And so, you know, I've, I've basically created a program that has fused part of the 12 steps and, and the beautiful experience that I, I've learned through that. And then the philosophy of yoga and then just created my own program based around those two modalities. And so it's, it's beneficial for anybody who wants to break through any kind of pattern, any kind of habit, any kind of limiting belief. And so you can get in touch with me through my website and that is www.keganwhitecoaching.com and Keegan is spelled K-E-E-G-A-N. I'll, I'll put yeah. all that in the newsletter. Awesome. Um, Great. Well, thank you. Um, I knew I was going to, I had no worries about this, you know, podcast. I barely spoke to you right before it. Cause I was like, I knew yeah. it was going to be good. <laughs> I just, <laughs> just going to have a great conversation with you. So, um, good luck. Keep it up. I love, um, your videos. I think that's, you know, incredibly brave of you to put yourself out there weekly i'm impressed by anyone who because i, I kind of do it with this so i know it's not mm-hmm. it's way out of one's comfort zone yeah you know, absolutely you hit that record button it takes you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and you know, the people can find me on on facebook too because i do i do weekly videos sometimes more about you know, coaching and just life in general and yeah you have and, great content you have great yeah, content, thank you so um, i appreciate it well, thank you guys for listening. And um, again, if I sounded loopy, <laughs> I'm a little looped up. But I hope the uh, sound quality is good. And uh, I apologize for last week. I did get some notices about my mic. That was me. I was just incredibly nervous um, last week. So thank you. And um, I will see you next week. Bye. As they say, or as I'm saying right now, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Marisol and make sure you listen to her every week by hitting the subscribe button and by all means, share the blog and the podcast with your friends and family. Want more Marisol? Check out her blog at shityoucantmakeup.com or find her on Instagram at Marisol Podcast. Or of course, just like all the people you went to high school with, Marisol's on Facebook as well. I'm Sean, the producer, and you can hear me on Dadson, D-A-D-S-O-N, all one word, podcast, where a son and a father talk about different things that's going on in life. You can find us on Instagram as well. Hey, folks, we'll see you next time.